Here at Mercy Village Church, we are on a mission with Jesus to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. There are eight distinctive evidences we believe we will see if we are truly on that mission. We are a peculiar people, and these are the shaping characteristics of Mercy Village Church. We're jumping into a new sermon series. I want to introduce it to us, and to do that, I'm going to need you to to hang with me for about six or seven minutes. I want to lay the groundwork for this sermon series because it's not through a book of the Bible. We're going to take select passages from Scripture, and we're going to preach them, expository sermons from passages, but not passages lined up in a in a book. Go to multiple passages to get at eight distinctives that we hold as Mercy Village Church. We've called this sermon series A Peculiar People, Formative Characteristics of Mercy Village Church. But to get us there, I want you to understand something from a leadership perspective, why we're thinking about these and how we're thinking about these. When the pandemic hit, I picked up this book called Canoeing the Mountains. It's a book by a guy named uh, Todd Bolsinger, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory, because... It felt like uncharted territory because it was during the COVID uh, pandemic. He says this in one of his chapters about the mission of a church or an organization. He says the mission trumps always, every time, in every conflict. And this is important, not the pastor. Pastor doesn't have that kind of authority. Not the members of the church who pay the bills. Not those who scream the loudest or who are most in pain. No, in a healthy Christian ministry, the mission wins every single argument. He goes on, he says, The focused, shared, missional purpose of the church or organization will trump every other competing value. It's more important than my preferences or personal desire. It's more critical than leadership style, experience, or past success. It's the grid by which we evaluate every other element in the church. It's the criterion for determining how we will spend our money, who we will hire and fire, which ministries we will start, and which ones we will shut down. It's the tiebreaker in every argument and the principle by which we evaluate every decision we make. The point of that is this. That as we go forward as a church, what are we accountable to? We're accountable to the Word of God, of course. But we have also set up for ourselves mission statement, vision statement, core values. These aren't just kitschy, cute things. These are things that your leadership are putting themselves under. To the degree you understand the mission and vision of Mercy Village Church will be to the degree that you can be involved in holding leadership accountable for those things. Because the mission trumps. Not my wild hair desires or whatever. I don't have any hair. But not any of that. The mission trumps. And so we've kind of, you know, here's my cool little diagram, right, to help you understand this. Like I said, you got to hang with the nerd here for just a second. If you focus on that line in the middle, right? You see the cross on the left and the crown on the right? This is the biblical mission of the church. Justification is where it begins. God opens your eyes to see that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection from the dead is what it takes to justify you before God. That's the beginning of your journey. The end of your journey is glorification. 
One day in heaven, you will be made perfect in just like Jesus. That's the future for you. And that big, long, laborious, sometimes difficult line in the middle is a million-dollar word, sanctification. God is making you more and more like Jesus even now in this life. Now, notice I put the church there in the middle with those squiggly lines on either side because sanctification for us is sometimes three steps forward and two steps back. I'm looking a little more. Did I break it? I'm looking a little more like Jesus, and then I'm looking a little less like Jesus. Then I'm looking a little more like Jesus, and then I'm looking a little less like Jesus. So it's this sanctification process. So that's why we put a mission in statement in place, experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. That's what we think it looks like for us as a church to walk in sanctification in this life. That if we are experiencing for ourselves and embodying for others the redemption and renewal that we find in Jesus, that we'll be living on that mission of sanctification. And what does it look like when we do? We're a people saved by Jesus to walk with Jesus together in worship towards our neighbor and to the ends of the earth throughout generations for all our days. That's where that all comes in. Doing the mission looks like the vision. That's how we're, okay? Maybe this will be a little law, whatever. We can talk later. It's a lot. And then those core values, right, are what we cling to on this pathway, on this mission of becoming like Jesus, experiencing him and embodying him. We cling to these core values. So this trumps everything. If my desires are ever out of line with any of that stuff you see on that slide, then you as owners, members of the church, Your voice matters. You step up and say, hey, you got it in writing. You can be like, look, it says this, but you're doing that. What's the deal? What gives, right? Leaders hold one another in account. That trumps everything else. So that brings us to our series. The next slide you'll see, I mean, look how great this illustration is. We got a little magnifying glass over the church, and then what's pulled out of there are people. Like when we assess ourselves, are we really living on mission? Are we really doing what the mission of this church is? We believe in eight distinctive marks. There's more than that, but these are the the eight that we, because of our context, where we are in Barbersville, where we are as a young church, these are eight things we want to see. When you put us under the magnifying glass, this is what we look like as people. Eight distinctives. That's what we're doing over the next eight weeks is looking at those eight different distinctives. The evidence tells the true story, right? We can say we're on mission. We can have these signs up at either side of our gathering space. We can post our core values to social media, but the evidence tells the true story. Are we marked by these things? The first one today is walking with Jesus. That may seem really basic. In fact, we wrote that in there. We will walk with Jesus primarily by being chained to the word of God and consistent in prayer to the God of the word. This might sound very basic, but it is also the most essential. Anything that will detract or distract from these two essential disciplines, reading the Bible and praying, will be dismissed as unnecessary to the mission. That's how we get to where we are today.
This is one of the most crystal clear evidences that we are on mission, that we are people who walk with Jesus. And what I want us to hear today as we look at some folks who were called by Jesus is that walking with Jesus is not a burden. It's not. It's a kind, urgent invitation into anti-burden. Walking with Jesus is not a burden. Difficult sometimes? Yes. But a burden? No. It's an invitation into anti-burden. We'll see that play out today. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So here beside the Sea of Galilee, you see two small businessmen. That's what they were. This has been their own fishing business that they've built up to whatever measure of success it was experiencing. They're brothers, they're family men. These are not affluent men, but they're not broke either. They're probably lower middle class, right? Like, there's security in what they're doing. They're not, you know, taking lavish vacations or living in lavish homes, but they know they're going to eat every day. They know they're going to be able to have a little bit of money left to set aside. Again, not loaded, but secure. Small businessmen in this place. And Jesus comes to them and says, hey, follow me into the unknown. You should write a song about that. If you have kids and you've seen Frozen, you get that terrible joke. <laughs> follow me, he says. And, and he says, I will take you somewhere, right? You're going to follow me somewhere. I'm going to take you somewhere and I'm going to make you something. I'm going to turn you into something. I'll take you somewhere and I'll make you something. This has always been the invite. I want you to see that, by the way, right? You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, and, and this is after sin has come into the world. But, but Adam and Eve, in chapter 3, verse 8, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what scholars will say is that the reason this is so unsurprising, and even the way the verbiage is and the way it's written in Hebrew, insinuates, although it doesn't guarantee, but it strongly insinuates just the context of it. The fact that this is of no concern to them, the fact that this this isn't the first time that God has come to walk with them in the garden. That this is probably a regular occurrence. They're not surprised that he's there, but they are going to hide themselves this time. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's what sin did. Sin made them no longer want to be in the presence of God. They wanted to hide from him. There was God walking with them in the cool of the day, in the evening, walking with God. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, a man named Abram. God says to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'm going to take you somewhere and I will make you a great nation. I'm going to make you something. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Exodus chapter 13, 21 through 22. This is, they're set free from slavery. The people of God are, are going out of Egypt into the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they, that they might travel by day and by night, and the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God was in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire saying, follow me, and I'll take you somewhere, and I'll make you something. That wasn't the only way he was with them. Exodus chapter 40 sums up what we call, what they called the tabernacle. This elaborate tent that God would dwell in in the midst of the people, and they would pack that thing up every time, and they would walk with it, and when they would camp out the next time, they'd set up God's tent. And throughout all their journeys, it was, it was with them. And whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. They only moved when God led them to move. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. They camp out as long as the cloud stayed at the tabernacle. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house uh, of Israel throughout all their journeys." God's saying to his people, follow me. I'll take you somewhere. I'll make you something. I don't have to overdo the point. I won't even read from Joshua, but there's another scene there where they have the Ark of the Covenant and, and God's, and they, uh, people of God are told, when the Ark of the Covenant moves, you go with it. And what's crazy is that when the Ark of the Covenant goes, it's going towards the raging Jordan River that's likely at flood stage at this point. They're going into torrential river, but as soon as those priests, the Ark of the Covenant representing God's presence, as soon as they touch the water, it goes dry, and they walk across on dry land. God says, follow me. I'll take you somewhere. I'll make you something. And the call is, is still the same. First Peter 2, 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, that's the invitation. To walk with Jesus, to follow him, it's an invitation into clarity, knowing where to go. It's an invitation into victory, knowing how to fight our battles and win and succeed. And it's an invitation into true provision. He takes you to his place, his destination. You don't have to create the destination. You don't have to manufacture the destination. He will take you there. He provides that. And he makes you the person he wants you to be. You don't have to generate that in and of yourself. He does the work. He provides that for us. It's an invitation into his presence. Our distinctive is walking with Jesus, not walking towards Jesus. Not walking for Jesus, right? We're going to do his work. We're going to march with his signs. We're going to, you know, he's somewhere else and we're just out marching for him. Or if we walk in the right direction, right? At the right pace, we'll eventually catch up with Jesus. No, we are walking with Jesus in his presence. He is with us. And therefore, it's an invitation into rest. 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. We're going somewhere. Yoked up, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the invitation. Walk with me, Jesus said. That's the invitation to us. That's the invitation to Peter and Andrew. Be in my presence. And he also says to them, invite others into my presence. I want you to be in my presence. I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to make you something. And as you go, you'll be fishers of men. You'll invite others into my presence too. Do you hear him calling you today? Do you hear him calling you in this life, follow me? Walk with me. It's hard to hear sometimes, in all honesty, and I'm preaching at myself and at you. I'm preaching to all of us in this room, in the midst of all our striving, in the midst of all our working and our busyness and our schedules that are just filled to the brim, our desires for control, even our fears and our wounds, understandably so, the aching and the hurting from past experiences. It's hard to hear that invitation as loving one, follow me. Our plans and our dreams sometimes don't look the same as what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it's difficult to hear him calling, but he's calling you today to walk with him. Saying, walk with me. Peter and Andrew heard the call. Two others will too. Here's their response. These disciples there with everything that they have hear Jesus say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, verse 20, they left their nets and followed him. There's two more. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his and John, his brother, in the boat was Zebedee, their father mending their nets. And he called them likely the same call. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Notice what they leave behind. They leave behind their family. They leave behind security, their their sense of security in the work that they had. They leave behind familiarity, comfort, normalcy. They leave behind what is known to them. And note their posture as they do it. It's urgency immediately. Immediately, you read that word twice in the passage. Immediately they follow him. But why in the world would you do that? Why? (laughs) Because God in his grace had given them the ability to see Jesus, at least in part, for who he really was. Irresistible. You see, they'd, they'd heard about this man And they knew it. He was manifesting realities in his life around them in that area that led them to believe that this was not just a man. This was the Messiah sent from God, promised from the prophets ancient in the past. They had no idea where they were going, but they had some idea who they were following. And they knew it would be worth it. 
to go with him. They knew the promises of Isaiah 61, right? Good news for the poor. Jesus will quote these words in the temple when he begins his ministry. There's going to be good news for the poor. There's going to be binding up for the brokenhearted. There's going to be liberty for the captive. There's going to be the opening of prisons. I love this one. He's going to take our ashes and make them into headdresses to wear on our heads. How beautiful is that promise? Gladness instead of sadness, praising instead of fainting. The ruins will be repaired, a double portion for his children, everlasting joy. These were the promises of the Messiah to come. Set everything to right. He's going to bless his people. And they knew, at least in part, this was the promised Messiah. They said, that's my Messiah. I will follow him. And immediately they went to follow him. The promised deliverer was there with his anti-burden yoke saying, follow me. And they did. And he's still saying it to us today, follow me. So how do we follow Jesus? What does that look like for us today, 2022, Barbersville area and points surrounding for us to follow Jesus? Forget about the movie style, follow me, right? Forget about that. That's pretty dramatic what we just read, right? They throw the nets on the ground. I'm out of here, right? And they just go. (laughs) That's literally what they do. They just go. And that seems dramatic and exciting. And everybody loves those dramatic types of scenes, right? And maybe you know a story if you've been in church long enough of somebody who said, I'm going to sell my business and I'm going to give everything I have away and I'm going to... Uh, China to be a, a missionary in secret there. Maybe you maybe you know someone like that or you've heard those types of s- story. And sometimes it looks like that, but most of the time it doesn't, right? I want to call us to something sweeter and, and actually more urgent and, and even more impossible daily. Imagine them as they drifted off to sleep that night, first night. Yeah, we'll follow you, right? And then they go, where are we going? Well, the Son of Man... Right? Foxes have dens, right? But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we're sleeping outside tonight? What? What does this look like? Should I have brought a sleeping bag? What have I gotten myself into? Did I make the right decision to follow him? And now day by day, right? Walking with Jesus, right, isn't like a selfie that you then post on the internet Right? It's not just a scene from the chosen. Following Jesus is a day by day, moment by moment commitment in the basic mundane aspects of life. Because Monday's always coming. Like a bread truck. <laughs> always coming. What do we do on Monday? Difficult days are coming, it's a daily choice. That's why in that distinctive, we just hold up two very basic things. To walk with Jesus looks like reading the Bible and praying. Basic, simple things. I don't do those things all the time. I don't love those things like I should. So we want to say that if we are walking with Jesus, the evidence of that will be the word of God. Psalm 
28.1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. But how do we know his ways? Psalms 119.105, Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's why we read the word. That's why we're called to sing the word. That's why we memorize the word. That's why we meditate on the word, because in that we are walking with Jesus. It is breathed out by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means literally it is his very breath to us. This book is the breath of God. (laughs) Come on. I mean, like, really? Or it's false. Anybody ready to ride the this isn't true train? That's fine. I've felt that way before in the past. But if we believe it, then this is the breath of God for us. He is with us in this book. Read it, memorize it, meditate on it, sing it. Our community groups, we strive for them to be word-centered. That's why we have these discussion questions that we go through every week to center us around the word of God. Are you listening? The Holy Spirit makes the word known to us. Creation even sings the praises of our great God. Are you listening to the word of God? And then we have this great opportunity, not just to hear from God, but to actually talk back to him. Prayer. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Are you in a posture of ongoing conversation with God? That's the idea of these verses. It's not about having a quiet time every day, although that might be part of your process. Maybe you do get alone and you pray through a list of things or you or you have a certain way of praying every single day. But this is the idea that God is with you always. Right? Like like uh, at the risk of looking like a crazy person who's always talking to yourself, right? We're called to be in an ongoing conversation with God. When you're starting to feel that anger rise up inside of you, you're talking to God. Hey, help me out, man. When you're thankful for something, right? You have that conversation with God. Thank you. You're so gracious, so kind, right? Like that's the the idea. That we come to this to hear from God. We hear his words to us, and then he listens to our words to him through prayer. If you were walking with someone somewhere, there might be some points of silence along the trip, depending on who it was. And if you're walking with me, you won't have any silence. I'm going to talk the whole time. No, but there's conversations that happen as we're walking. That's the idea. To walk with Jesus is to talk with Jesus and listen to Jesus. And that is through his word and through prayer. Basic, but beautiful. So often neglected. The God of the universe, Jesus, the son of God, wants to walk with you. And he has given you his words in the Bible. And he's invited you to bring him your words through prayer. So hear me say this today. If you're sitting there thinking, man, I have not tapped into that recently. Do not feel guilt and shame. That's not the primary thing I want you to to feel. Or God wants you to feel. Instead, right, and, and this can be risky too, but but instead of guilt and shame, which is pretty 
common in these Bible Belt, Appalachian type areas, right? Like we're just like, oh, I'm terrible at reading my Bible. There's probably dust still on it at the house. I hate myself. I'm a terrible Christian. And we just will beat ourselves up instead, right? And there's some regret in this too. There can be. I would love for us, and I believe the biblical posture is to see it as a missed opportunity. You mean I could have been walking and talking with the God of the universe every day? Tapped into infinite wisdom and infinite joy and infinite life, and I haven't done it? What a fool. But don't sit there too long because there's still today. There's still tomorrow. This is the opportunity of a lifetime to walk with Jesus. So walk with Jesus. Starting today, be faithful to walk with Jesus in prayer and abide in the word of God. Matthew 16, 4. Jesus says, told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How do you hear that when it comes? Does that sound like a burden to you? Does that sound like a chore? I mean, do I got to take up my cross? Got to follow him? Or does it sound like a sweet and urgent invitation? Was it an easy path for the disciples? You've read the gospel, you know, the gospels, you know, it wasn't not by any stretch of the imagination. There was mocking and persecution, discomfort, and even death for them. The romance of the whole, like, follow me, take the selfie, the scene from the chosen. It ended real quick as they followed him. But ultimately, they trade their nets for crowns. They trade the fish that they will be catching for souls. They trade the temporal for the eternal. They trade their kingdom for God's kingdom. They give up something worthwhile. Fishing was worthwhile. They give that up for something worth everything. Worth giving their lives away to. And they made the right trade-off, by the way. The psalmist says, At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. He also says, All my fountains are in you. Everything good that comes up inside of me, anything good is from you. The Apostle Paul will say, All that's lost on this road is gain for the sake of following Jesus. One of the reasons I keep hitting a ceiling in my Christian walk, why you possibly keep hitting a ceiling in your Christian walk, it's not because you're not doing the right things per se. It's you just we're not desperate enough. We think we got some forever more pleasures in our right hand. And all loving kindness and saying this to myself as well, we're too stupid to know that we don't. You can't create an everlasting kingdom. You can't bring yourself pleasure forevermore. You can't bring about something that in comparison to it, everything else is considered lost. You can't have a perpetual fountain of goodness and joy and satisfaction well up inside of you by yourself. And we're not desperate enough. We don't pick up the book and read it because we're not desperate enough. We think we got it figured out. We're the hero of our own stories. We're the builders of our own kingdom. We're too awesome to need this. Me. 
your pastor. Goes through days, sometimes weeks, thinking he's too awesome to need this as much as he needs it. Thinks he's too awesome to need prayer as much as he needs it. There's only one awesome character in the story. It's Jesus. Prayer. Reading the word of God is our way of walking with him. This is worthy of your schedule. It's worthy of your wallet. It's worthy of your talents, your gifts. It's worthy of your days, your hours, your minutes, your seconds. It's worthy of every breath that you breathe. Follow Jesus. We've already applied it. Walk with Jesus in his word. Read your Bible. How are you going to do it? What's it going to look like? Think about that. Figure it out. Ingest the word of God. And pray. Walk with Jesus in prayer. Are these things a regular part of your life? Not legalistically, but just as an opportunity. Like, are you tapping in to this feast? This thirst-quenching goodness? Are you? Maybe you're thirsty because you're not. Maybe you're hungry because you're not. It's here. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's right here. Get on your phone. Get on your computer. Get it in print in almost every language, many languages, right? You, you, You can do that. All kinds of versions, all kinds of ways. Ingest it. Talk to Jesus. Your first prayer that you pray might be this. God, help me to see that walking with Jesus is not a burden. It is a kind and urgent invite into anti burden. If you don't do anything else this week, maybe pray that. God, show that to me. Reveal that to me. That walking with Jesus isn't a burden, it's an invitation into anti burden. If you're not a Christian, follow Jesus today. Take up your cross and follow after him. That's done by grace through faith. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You want to walk with Jesus, right? You have to come to the end of yourself and say, hey, I can't, can't make myself righteous before God. I can't make myself good before God. My sin is a problem. Take ownership of that. Believe that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection was enough to make you right with God. Believe that today. The Bible says you'll be saved. And then you're invited to walk with Jesus. All the goodness forevermore. Trust Jesus today. If you have any questions about that, I'll be available after the gathering. If you have any questions about the other stuff, reading the Bible, praying, if there's anything you have questions about the sermon, I'll be available after. If you need prayer, I'll be available after. Father, I want to believe this more, that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to believe this more, that all my fountains are in you. I want to believe this more, that everything that is lost in following you is actually gain. I want to love the word of God more. I want to love the opportunity to pray more. And I want that for every single person in this room. Will you make it so? I can't make it so. Not even close. But you can. I pray that you will. In your grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. 
Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.